97.9 The Hill, WCHO, and the UNC Hustman School of Journalism and Media present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC journalism professor, Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. The topic today, the 10-part ESPN documentary series, The Last Dance. Our guest, John Dahl, vice president and executive producer of ESPN Films, and more importantly, a UNC alum. So, John, this uh, 10-part series is about the 97-98 Chicago Bulls starring a certain other UNC alum. Before we get, though, to the particulars of the film, take us back to Swain Hall in the mid-'80s. What set John Dahl up to be doing what he's doing these days? You know, it really started uh, my senior year in high school. I was uh, at Independence High School in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I did an internship with the Charlotte News, the evening paper in Charlotte. And they actually let me start writing for the paper while I was a high school senior. And that set me up for when I got to Chapel Hill in the uh, late summer of 1982. I didn't write for the Daily Tar Heel. I actually wrote for the town paper, the Chapel Hill newspaper. That was the name of it, the Chapel Hill newspaper. And uh, Ron Green Jr. was the sports editor. A fellow staff member of mine on the sports staff was Dragan Mihaljevic, who's gone on to an outstanding career with 60 Minutes at CBS. And I worked with a guy named Elliot Warnock. And so I got into media work, sports media work, actually before I ever you know, took my first class at Carolina. So what are a couple of the classes, maybe a couple of the professors that really stand out in your mind during your Carolina years? I, I remember uh, Professor uh, Settle, um, John Bittner uh, stood out, uh, Richard J. Richardson um, was a big one. Um, I was a radio, television, motion pictures major. RTVMP doesn't exist, I don't think, anymore. Brad Doherty was actually in my class and also an RTVMP major. And, um, you know, I just started more broadly with, with, the, with the general classes, uh, a wide range of classes going beyond, you know, radio, television, motion pictures, and gradually focused more and more on my major as I, as I passed through. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump then into The Last Dance. And, of course, it's about uh, the 97-98 Chicago Bulls and, and that, that string of uh, world championships they had in the NBA and starring – Michael Jordan, who of course uh, starred at at, uh, at UNC, and I want to I want to start John with a quote from one of my uh, alums on uh, Facebook the other day, and get you to respond to it. And he says, "So Michael Jordan didn't go to your school? I can't relate." <laughs> you know, I think we in Chapel Hill at the time had a better idea of who Michael might become than the outside world. I think we were maybe a step ahead because you just were exposed to his incredible, not only level of talent, but his drive early on. My first story that I did for the basketball season, my freshman year was a one-on-one with Michael. I remember it distinctly to this day, uh, interviewing him one-on-one at the court, uh, Carmichael Auditorium 
or the start of fall practice. It was the it was the fall after he had hit the shot to beat Georgetown to win the national championship. And so I, I covered Michael a lot for the Chapel Hill newspaper that first year. The second year, I was around him, I'd say, even more because I was a production assistant for the Tar Heels Sports Network working for Woody Durham. And um, I was at almost every game that year, including the final one where Carolina lost Indiana in the Sweet 16 in Atlanta. And so I think we saw things that, you know, a lot of people weren't quite picking up on just yet. The media world then wasn't what it is today. Not every game was televised or anything close to that. And I remember just, you know, distinctly his game against Tulane. It was an incredible performance by Michael in my freshman year. And you got a sense right there why he has something that others don't. So you mentioned the shot in New Orleans and you interviewing him after that. So by then he was Michael. He was actually Mike before that getting to know Michael and covering Michael, what was that like as a, as a college student? This is a really good experience. Um, Michael was very uh, professional and uh, courteous. Uh, he was approachable. Um, you know, at that time, you just look at him as a fellow student in a way. Um, he, he wasn't what he later became, you know, with the Chicago Bulls, particularly in the 90s. Uh, he was great. He really was. Um, you know, and he just, he, he, he revered Dean Smith. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, what Dean Smith meant to him, uh, was, was profound and it had such a positive influence, I think on Michael. And, uh, I, I think Michael was just really a likable guy. So let's then jump now to the last dance. Uh, you've produced a lot of 30 for 30 type programming of course uh a couple i want you to think back on and maybe compare this one this experience to those there was uh, the greatest game ever played nfl yeah ali rap the greatest boxer i think who's ever lived and then this series the greatest basketball player who's ever lived the goat compare those three all iconic in different ways i mean Michael Jordan is in, can be in that same sentence with Muhammad Ali for different reasons. They 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 had different approaches. They were in different eras, but you know their their world fame is is a common bond that they both share. I mean, you can say Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan of such and such. You can say that anywhere in the world, he's recognized just like Muhammad Ali. The game, the Colts Giants 1958 NFL Championship game, was an iconic game that changed the the path of the NFL, and it started really a transition, so to speak, of going from a college football first country probably to more pro football over time, especially once the Super Bowl era started. So these are all figures or games that really had a lasting impact on society. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking with John Dahl of ESPN about uh, the documentary series, The Last Dance. So, John, for those who, those of us who have done some documentary filmmaking and, and maybe just the general public, what's the first step, the first few steps in a project of this size? 
Well, you got to know what your story is for starters. And in this case, the story is built around the final championship season uh, for Michael and the Chicago Bulls. So that's why it's called the last dance. That's what Phil Jackson, the head coach at the time, called it because um, they had a strong sense that this was going to be it in 1997-98. It was apparent that management had decided that um, things were going to change after that year, even though they had been winning. And so, uh, you know, you got to know how then to, to feed that story. And uh, when we started 30 for 30, for example, we knew what we wanted and what we didn't want. We wanted specific stories that touched larger themes. And so that made it much easier as we were going through the pitch process. We took about 150 pitches uh, for 30 for 30, just the first wave, the first 30 films. And uh, it, it made it very easy to decide or easier to decide what we liked, what we didn't like, because it, we had to had decide the, whether it was meeting our goals of something personal that touched larger themes. So when Barry Levinson comes in and pitches the band that wouldn't die, he's a Baltimore uh, Colts fan, native of Baltimore, and he wants to tell the story of, you know, his heart essentially being ripped out along with so many other Colts fans when the team moved from Baltimore to Indianapolis in the middle of the night. That's what we were looking for, a personal story that touched larger themes of, you know, what a franchise means to a town, you know, what franchise moves can mean to a city. Um, so in this case, we, we knew the story was going to be built around the 97-98 season, and everything was, was feeding off that. Jason Hare, our director, just did a phenomenal job of then constructing this story over 10 parts to feed back to that narrative of the 97-98 season, yet explore the history of, uh, of the Bulls in the 90s before that season, and Michael Jordan's history in particular. So there's almost no live sports right now. And uh, that prompted uh, you guys to make the decision to move up the release of, of this series. Good move? I think it was a great move. I think we've seen it uh, come to fruition and then some. It's a terrible time in our world right now. There's really harsh realities being faced every day. And, you know, if we can somehow create an escape for a couple hours a week and then some with people talking about it before and after – I mean, that's, that's really rewarding and gratifying um, because it is, it is so incredibly difficult for millions and millions and millions of people around the world. And um, it was not easy to move it up. We were not done. Uh, we had to uh, assess whether it was possible to even move it up. Uh, you know, my boss, Connor Shell, worked with going back to 30 for 30 in the beginning. Connor asked me to start looking at some scenarios and I was drawing up more than a dozen possibilities of how we could move it up in a way that would work with the production schedule. I was talking you know, closely with Jason Hare, our director and his production team. They're in New York. They're at the epicenter of the pandemic in New York and they had to move to their apartments to finish editing. There was so much in play to, to try to move it up. But ultimately we concluded that we could move it up and we came up with this plan of two per week for, for five straight weeks. But we, you know, we couldn't start it too soon because it was all about when we could finish. And if we started too soon, we would have a gap before the final episodes. We didn't want that. So we, we aggressively accelerated the schedule as much as we possibly could. And that's how we landed on uh, April 19th to start and May 17th to finish. So I should point out to our listeners that we're doing this interview before five and six have aired. Are nine and ten done? 
Nine and 10 are picture locked, okay? So editorially, all the decisions have been made. The episodes have not been delivered yet, though. There's still the, the post-production process that is taking place right now. You got to get the master footage. You got to color correct, the audio mix. There's so much that goes into finishing an episode at the quality that it must be to go on television and on streaming devices everywhere. So no, we do not have in our possession all 10 episodes right now, but we will. Does that make you nervous at all? No, I'm not nervous because we're, we're at picture lock. The process is going well and uh, it will get there. I mean, I think that the final episode may be delivered with less than a week before air, but it'll be delivered. We're okay. We're on schedule. We'll be fine. So explain to our listeners, what's the difference between picture locked and ready for air? Picture lock means that all the editorial decisions have been made. We're not going back in and, and making changes to the storyline or anything like that. All those decisions are made. It's at a lower resolution at that point. The final delivery is all at the highest resolution, uh, high definition, best color, uh, best audio. It's ready to be seen um, uh, uh, around the world. All right. So first four are, uh, are in the books uh, at the time of, of this chat that we're having. How do you feel about it at this point? I feel great. I, I, it's, it's, um, it's humbling to see the response that this series has gotten. We just had a headline that came out uh, you know, this week that um, <laughs> The Last Dance has now surpassed Tiger King. Netflix's Tiger King as the most popular documentary series in the world. I mean, my gosh, you know, you, you want to work on something that matters to people, that affects people's lives in some way. That's why I do what I do. I want to work on telling stories that matter to people and make a difference in people's lives. You know, going back to when I was at Carolina, that's ultimately what it's about for me. I love sports. It's really in so many ways what defines me, but within sports, it's, it's sports media and sports storytelling. That's why I was a RTVMP major. That's why I've chosen the path that I've chosen because I want to tell stories that impact people and to work with incredibly talented people like Jason Hare and his, his production team. They're just phenomenal. And um, it's just, it's really wonderful to see just how much this, this series has become part of the daily conversation. It's become a cultural event. And, you know, you can work your whole life and never reach that kind of a, a moment. And, and we have reached that. And it's, it's gratifying to know that we can impact people's lives in such a positive way. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our discussion with John Dahl, the executive producer of ESPN Films, about the uh, documentary series, The Last Dance. So uh, we, we talked about the great reaction uh, you guys have had, and it certainly helps to have an iconic central figure. Uh, quick story for you. I'm in Beijing a couple of years ago. I'm in a restaurant uh, for breakfast. Of course, I have my Carolina gear on. Kid comes walking by. He has Carolina gear on. It's like, well, we're taking over the world. And a little later in the day, I'm talking to a Chinese student and he wants to know, you know, what I do. And well, I teach at Carolina, University of North Carolina. And he had this blank look on his face. And I said, the school that Michael Jordan went to. And immediately, you know, he knows Michael Jordan. So how much 
of a difference? I, I know you can't quantify this, but how much of a difference does it make to have a central figure that everybody knows? Makes a big difference, and I think uh, a big part of the success of the Last Dance is not only the way uh, you know it, the story has been brilliantly told by uh, Jason Hare and, and, and our production team, but also people want to hear from Michael. You know, Michael doesn't do that many interviews, really, and he certainly doesn't open up the way he's opened up in The Last Dance. And so I think people are kind of hanging on, on what does he really think? How does he really feel? And Michael's unfiltered here. And I think that's what's driving uh, a big part of the success. I heard early on that he was worried that this might make him look like a terrible person. Why would it make him look like a terrible person just because he is so unfiltered, which is not what we're used to? I think so. Um, you even hear Michael curse from time to time in his interview. <laughs> and that's not something you really heard during his prime. And I think he, you know, he was, uh, understandably, just think about how people are going to take certain things that he says or the way he feels about things. But you know, Michael's unapologetic. He, he, he wants to be honest, authentic. That's what makes him so special is uh, an authentic human being. And um, I, I think, you know, for me personally, having worked on it, being a part of it, like, I, I just, it makes me think even more of Michael because I just think he's, he's laying it all out there. Um, and you, you do appreciate all that he and his teammates there accomplished. It's, it's, it's remarkable what they accomplished, what Michael achieved and has achieved in his life. You've had lots of good reactions on, on, uh, uh Facebook and, you know, all other social media sites and what have you. Great ratings. Uh, Magic Johnson loved it. Ken Burns, not so much. What would you say to Ken Burns' criticisms that, that Jordan had too much of a hand in the making of this series? Uh, look, I have tremendous respect for Ken Burns. I've really enjoyed his work over the years, certainly Civil War and baseball. I, I have high regard, not only for Ken Burns, but quite honestly, his brother Rick Burns, who did the New York documentary. So, look, I understand, um, you know, that Ken Burns sees things a certain way, but he hasn't seen the documentary. He admitted as such. He hasn't seen it. And he's making assumptions that aren't correct. Um, Michael was not steering the content. Michael wasn't telling us what to put in or what not to put in. I can't even think of an instance where Michael said, oh, you know, I, I'm not comfortable. Take that out. Michael was not driving the editorial process at all. And we take that very seriously at ESPN. And, you know, look, I went to North Carolina and I have great um, appreciation for my degree at North Carolina. I have a, a high regard. But you know what? When I'm doing my job, I'm doing my job. And it's different. You have to compartmentalize and put that aside. And you do what's right. And, uh, and I can just tell you that this story is being told in, in an authentic way. John, we have just about a minute left. Let's talk quickly about the, uh, the villains. Uh, collectively, let's do it collectively. The GM, Jer uh, Jerry Krause, Isaiah Thomas, the Pistons as a whole. How important are the villains in, uh, in this story? Well, conflict makes uh, a good story even better, right? And I covered those Pistons teams for a couple of years. I was ESPN's first Chicago bureau producer. So I was covering uh, Michael and the Bulls against the Pistons at precisely the time they were trying to get over the hump from the spring of 89 to the spring of 91. I actually make a brief cameo appearance in episode three. You can see me at press row with Andrea Kramer behind Doug Collins. 
uh, th- those Pistons teams were great to cover. They were they were really terrific interviews at the time. Isaiah, Chuck Daly, all of them, and uh, that's what kind of makes a good story though. That there is this conflict, and there there is a there's an obstacle to overcome. And Michael and the Bulls eventually overcame those obstacles. And that does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, John Dahl. Thanks also to producer Laura Field. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's international network of sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism and Media.